Well, good morning. Yeah, we'll try that again. Good morning. <laughs> As uh, Pastor Kevin said, my name is Josh. Um, uh, Joshua, people just call me Josh. That's fine. I first of all just want to thank leadership for you know giving me this uh, precious pulpit time. I know how pulpit time is very precious, regardless of what church or what denomination you belong to. But um, I serve as the executive director of uh, Operation Mobilization Canada. Uh, if you know Laval, I believe Laval is uh, one of the missionaries that you send out. He is very dear to us and they're working hard, working away uh, in different uh, capacities in Myanmar, as you all know. I'll tell you a little bit about uh, myself uh, before I start. If we could flip to the next slide. Um, I'm here, as Pastor Kevin said, with my wife and uh, two children. They're at the back, if you see them there. Uh, maybe you can stand up just so that they see. Um, is Jasmine there? No, she went downstairs already. Okay. Um, yeah, so married to one wife, Hanako. Uh, she's Japanese. I'm actually half Japanese. Uh, met her in Japan. I'll go into a little bit about that later. But two kids, Caleb and Jasmine. And it's a joy for us to come and be with you here together. Usually uh, when I go and preach at different churches, uh, I'm on my own. But um, they couldn't say no to a nice uh, Chinese lunch after the service today. So I got them to come and join me. Uh, I am half Japanese and a quarter Spanish and a quarter Filipino. Uh, and I like to say that I'm Japanese from the waist down. Because us Japanese, I can say that because I'm part Japanese have short legs. So I'm Japanese from the waist down. And my right side here is the Filipino side because Filipinos are hard workers. If you know anyone, you know, they work hard. They don't say much. They just do, you know, keep working. And then my left side, which is closer to my heart, is probably the Spanish side because that's where my passions are. I'm passionate for God. I'm passionate for missions. I lived in the, in the Philippines for 17 years, in Japan for 17 years, and then in Canada for 17 years as well. So if you're doing the math, yes, I'm 51. Well, today I've been given the task to uh, tackle global missions or missions in itself. And that in itself is quite a huge topic. Uh, you know, it can be daunting, it can be overwhelming, or maybe it can seem kind of unrelated to who we are in our day-to-day. -day. You know, when we think of missions, we usually think of, uh, you know, these brave kind of heroes of the faith who are out there and, and sacrificing it all for Jesus and, and have left their lives here and have gone and, and just thrown everything away and they're missionaries preaching the gospel, create, you know, raising up disciples, making disciples and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So when we think about missions, I, in this room, I can ask you, and you probably have a different definition for each of you. Yes, we can probably quote, you know, Matthew 28, but when it comes to the nitty-gritty and we think about, well, what, it, what is it really? We probably have all different um, definitions or, or uh, opinions about it. So uh, I'm going to ask the Lord to be with us and, and speak to us because this is a a huge topic, but it's also a very heavy topic on his heart. And so I'm going to pray, and would you join me in prayer? And after that, we're going to watch a short video. Father, we thank you because you are a God of missions. You are relentlessly 
pursuing your creation, to bring it back to yourself. And today, as we look into, try to take a little peek into your heart about what that looks like, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would be with us. We ask that you would speak to us, that you would remove things that might serve as obstacles in our minds, in our hearts, um, that you would take away any preconceived ideas or even experiences that we might have had, whether they be negative or positive. We just open ourselves to you here today that you would do as you please in your servant, first of all, Father, and in each and every brother and sister here in this room. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, watch this video for a second. Over three billion people have never heard about Christ's love for them. Never. And their number grows by around 60,000 per day. Almost 22 million a year. That's the population of Singapore, London, and New York combined. These are families, communities, entire groups of people who are living without the knowledge of why they were made. And how much they are loved by God. And many of them have no choice in the matter. There's no church, no Bible, no Jesus follower among them. As followers of Jesus, it's up to us to share God's hope and love. Since 1957, OM has been on a mission to introduce Jesus to those who don't know Him. And that legacy lives on today. We are a movement of workers from more than 120 nationalities. All of us driven to share God's love with those who don't know Him. When people put their hope in Jesus, His love can spread like wildfire. And when that happens, lives are transformed. Vibrant, Christ-centered communities are born, and generations are changed forever. Our vision is personal. And our reach is global. We equip and connect believers to take part in God's mission in every place, sharing His love with every person. As a mix of traditional missionaries, marketplace professionals, artists, pastors, teachers, and more, we use our God-given skills, passions, and gifts to do the work that every Jesus follower is called to. We wake up each day with the confidence that the God of the universe is with us. This emboldens us, empowers us, and keeps us moving forward. There is no place too far, no task too difficult, and no individual we will not try to reach. Because there are three billion reasons we cannot stop. Why we will not stop. The need is great. But our God is greater. And He's called all of us to do this great work together. How will you be a part of His life-changing movement? number wakes me up every day. Three billion people who have never heard the name Jesus will probably never hear it in the rest of their lifetime. Three billion people who will never touch a physical Bible or even see a digital one. Three billion people who will never meet a Christ follower in their lifetime. That's the current 
situation we face in global missions today. And it's kind of hard to wrap our minds around that huge number. But if you try to think of it proportionately, there's about 8 billion plus people in the world today. So almost a third of us in this world will not hear his name, will not read the Bible, will not meet a Christ follower. If you put that into perspective, if you think about this uh, auditorium that we're in, about a third of the people here, without having their choice or their will or their volition involved in it, will never have that chance. So it could be this side of the room or the middle side of the room or this side of the room. It doesn't matter. But the fact is, that's where we stand today. And that number grows by 50 to 60,000 people every day. About 150,000 people die daily. So if you do the math, you'll see that we're still not going to win the battle. The task seems overwhelmingly daunting. And so with all that said, today I'm going to attempt to bring that down into our everyday. What does the 3 billion, what does the current global mission situation of the world that we face, what does that mean to you and me? Right? Because we can find out all the facts, we can watch all these moving and inspiring videos, but unless we take that reality into our day-to-day, -day, it's not going to make a difference. So today I want us to consider the fact that God has a plan and that you and I are actually part of it. Let me present that hypothesis to you. Just, just think about it for the next half hour or so. I mean, I think if I asked you, would you agree that God has a plan for the world? If you're a follower of Jesus, you probably would raise your hand and say, yes, he, he does have a plan, right? And if I said, well, do you believe that God has a plan for uh, the salvation of the world, a redemptive plan? And you probably say yes, and that's why, you know, you and I are here, and somewhat there's some kind of progress. We see missionaries out. We see mission orgs out. We see churches doing things locally and globally. Yes, I agree that God has a redemptive plan. And if I asked you, do you believe if God had a plan for your life or your family, you would probably say yes. But I think today what I want us to look at, the key is for us to understand, well, if he does have a plan, am I actually part of it? And that's the key question I want us to answer today. And we're going to do that, attempt to do that, by asking again three simpler questions. What is God's plan? How do I fit in? And what now? Just those three simple questions. So generally speaking, we all kind of agree that God does have a, have a plan. And we actually see that in our scripture reading today and from, from Ephesians chapter 2. God's plan is to redeem creation back to himself by using the church as his primary tool in accomplishing that plan. Let me say that again. God's plan is to redeem the whole of creation back to himself by using the church, you and me, to be part 
of that plan to accomplish. That's his plan. Let me tell you. If we look at the scripture today, you'll see that I highlighted the last verse, verse 10. For we are God's work, the, uh, workmanship or handiwork, depending on the version you're using, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, in verses 1 to 9, you'll see that Paul goes into this complicated and complex and intricate, beautiful explanation of what God did through Christ Jesus to save us from darkness into light, to save us from our, our deadness in sin and bring us back to life, right? It's a beautiful chapter in Ephesians. Paul is saying, you know, we, we were all dead in our sin and transgressions, and we're actually targets of God's wrath, right? And then he says, but, but, all of us, all of us were living in this disobedient kind of flow of the world, and, and we were under the rule of Satan, under the rule of the, of the powers that, were, that are, are right now controlling this world. And then in verse 4, he says, but because of God's great love, this is what he did. You know, he brought us back to life, and his rich in mercy made us alive in Christ. Right? And he says he seated us up with him. So all this, the beauty of, of salvation that Paul goes through actually rests on verse 10. When he says, for you are God's handiwork, for we are God's handiwork or, or, or a masterpiece, you can actually take verse 10 and put that before verse 1. When you look at Paul's writing, you'll see that a lot of his arguments go the same way. He has a pattern in the way he argues, or the pattern in the way he convinces the people he's writing to, right? And if you look at not just Ephesians, if you look at other, other books that, or letters that Paul writes, you'll see that he says, he gives an explanation of all this, and he says, because of this, for you were. So if you actually take verse 10 and put that before verse 1, you'll see what Paul is saying here. He's saying, because you are God's handiwork, that created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do, that's why while you were still dead in your sins and transgressions, he actually saved you. That's why he brought you back from death to life. That's why he reached down in his love and his mercy, and he seated you up now with Christ Jesus. That's the logic in, 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 when you read the whole verse in context. Because many times we kind of just take that last verse and put it on the side there. But actually, that's Paul's reasoning. He's saying, God in advance had a, has a plan, and he wants you to be part of that plan with all the good works that he's prepared in advance for you to do, which is why he's taken you from the kingdom of darkness and transferred you to the kingdom of light. Now, when you read it in that perspective, it changes things, doesn't it? It changes our understanding of why God saved you and me. You see, God's plan is to save us so that through us, he can save those who haven't been saved yet. We live in North America. And I don't need to say this, but North America is quite individualistic. Right? And I can say this because we are, I mean, most of you um, also have some kind of Asian or Chinese background where it's not that individualistic and it's more communal or group-oriented. But how many of you, when you were presented with the gospel, whether as a child or whether as an adult or someone was leading you to Christ or maybe in a Bible study or in a small group, have read John 3.16 this way? 
Can someone actually say, maybe just say out John 3.16? This is, it's not a test, it's fine. For? <laughs> There's a few who weren't sure. For God so loved the world that he gave his only one and begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not, have, should not perish but have eternal life. Some of us, may have gone through some kind of study where someone said, you know what, this is about you. God loves you. So instead of saying the world there, replace that. Or say, you know, replace it with your name. H have you experienced that? Right? So in my case, it would be someone telling me, oh, so, so for God so loved Josh. Right? And it makes it so personal. I'm like, oh, man, God loves me. Right? And that's great. And then he says, that if Josh believes in his one and only son, Josh is not going to perish, but he's gonna, Josh is going to have eternal life, right? And it brings it home. It makes it all personal, which is amazing, which is wonderful, which, you know, gives me all the warm fuzzies and all that, which is true. God saved you and me because he loves you, because he wants to bring healing into your life, because he wants to uh, redeem you, because he wants to empower you, because he wants you to, to be the person that he created you to be. Right? That's all true. It's, it's very personal. But to me, and let me present you with this. Don't, don't you know, hold your horses. To me, that's the gospel half circle. It's all about perspective. The gospel full circle dictates that, yes, God loves us, that he gave his one and only son for us, that he died and gave everything for us because he wants to bring healing, he wants to bring uh, relief, he wants to, bring, uh, he wants to empower us, he wants to bring us back to himself, restore that relationship. It's all true, it's all great, it's all amazing. But that's halfway, right? Gospel full circle is, yes, God saved you because he loves you, but he still loves the others who he hasn't reached yet. And that's why he saved us, so that he can use us to accomplish his redemptive plan. If I asked you today, why did God save you? You would probably answer, yes, because he loves me, and, you know, or he sent someone along my way, and, and now I know him, and, and that's all good. But God's plan is to redeem the world through you and me through you and me. I know for many of us, that's difficult to, to fathom, that's difficult to believe or want to believe even. Right? Because it's become overly, I believe, individualistic where it's all about us. Right? Especially in the society and the culture that we live in. Yes, God loves me. Yes, he knows me. Oh, the word says he knows me before I was knit in my mother's womb. Yes, he wants to bring healing. Yes, he wants to empower me and, and all that. But he still loves the three billion. He still died for the three billion. Right? And if we start to understand God's plan from this perspective, where it doesn't end with me, but that actually starts with me. Can you imagine how that would impact our perspective on mission? 
So if we believe the first point that I just mentioned, that God's plan is to redeem the whole of creation back to himself by using you and me as his church, if we believe in that point, then we are compelled to ask the second question. God's plan. What's God's plan? We believe in that, but then we're compelled to ask the second question. Well, if that's true, okay, Josh, like, and I'm talking about each and every one of you, if you are a follower of Jesus, if at one point in your life you made that conscious decision to say, yes, I need you in my life. Yes, I messed up. I need you to come and, re and, re and restore me and, and heal me and, and forgive me and wash me clean from this sin. And from this day forward, I'm going to follow you. If you've made that decision in your life, then you're a follower of Jesus and you're part of that plan. Right? So the question for each and every one of us in this room today is, well, how do I fit into God's plan? That's the question that we need to be asking ourselves. You and I have a part to play in God's plan. Three weeks ago, I was in Africa. I started the trip uh, in Kenya. I was there for a senior leaders course that we have in OM. And then I went for about a week to Ethiopia where I visited a friend who I hadn't seen in 28 years. He was, went to the same Bible college in uh, OBC, which is now Tyndale. We promised each other that one day we would see each other again and I would preach in his church and he would preach in mine. Well, one half of that promise was fulfilled. And then the last portion of my trip, I was in Senegal because I was visiting the work we have there as OM. I'm gonna tell you this story about how we play a part in God's plan. So in Ethiopia, <clears throat> we went to his church, which I had the privilege of speaking at, and we were walking to the church as everyone does. Everyone just walks in, in Africa, right? Especially out in the countryside. So he was in Ethiopia. If you know Ethiopia, uh, or if you love coffee, uh, there is a small town or village called Yirga Chefe. How many of you know of Yirga coffee? It's a coffee lover here. Yes, I was there. I had the real thing, guys. Oh, man. It's nothing like what you can get in Starbucks. Anyways, so I was in Yirgachefe. Nothing. Okay, there's nothing there. Goats and chickens. That's about it. And coffee. Okay? So we're walking to his church. We get there at 9. He says, well, the service starts at 9. It goes to about 12. Amazing, powerful, you know, spirit-filled service. Uh, the, the worship team's leaving, and everyone's just in worship, and it was, it, was, it was such a blessing. Yeah, there's a picture up there. There's about a 1,000 people and lots of youth in, in, the, in the service, right? And then the offering, the, there's a worship time, and then the offering time comes. And I notice these people walking down the aisle, and they're coming, coming down, and they're bringing, there's a couple of guys bringing some sacks, and someone brings this little bag of, of uh, I don't know what it was, but the bag, and they put it up at the front. So if you've been to Africa, it's quite common in many churches because it, they don't have actual money to give. So you'll see, see some stuff down there at, in front of the, uh, the, the front of the church, right? So there, some guys are bringing coffee. Some guys are bringing grain. Someone brought a small bag of three eggs, right? And then someone brought a live chicken. And they put it right in the front. Uh, it, it's not there yet, but you'll see later. So someone, and I asked my friend, so what are they going to do with all that? I said, oh, later on in the service, yeah, there's the chicken. So later on in the service, he says, they're going to auction it. 
So they have an auction and they put it up and they, so one guy says, oh, who's gonna pay for the eggs, right? So the, 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 the congregation is blessed because they get to sh shop there and that money actually is, goes to the offering. So then, the you know, guy's auctioning three eggs, the guy's auctioning a sack of, of, uh, of grains or something and then they put the chicken up, right? And then some people are, auction, are, are, are bidding and the guy in the back, I don't understand it because it's all in Amharic. So my friend is translating for me. But the guy in the back says, I want to buy that chicken for the guest speaker. <laughs> so I'm like, at the same time, I'm privileged. At the same time, I'm not going to be able to take this home to Canada. But anyways, I end up, this is after the service, I end up with the chicken. So uh, it was first experience, very honored. So I, I, I actually, when, when they bought that for me, you know, and the guy bought it for me, and everyone was clapping, and they thought it was amusing, and they were laughing, you know, the guest speaker from Canada gets to bring this chicken home. Um, I come up, and I say, hey, guys, because I was preaching about God's plan, kind of similar to what we're talking about today. And I said, that chicken didn't know that it was going to be mine today, right? When it was hatched, it didn't know. When the mother hen laid it, it didn't know. Right? But God says that before you and I are born and knit in our mother's wombs, he knew us. Before every word comes out to our tongues, our mouth, he knows us. He knows us so well. So he has a plan for you and me. Right? And I thought that was, wow, God, thank you. This is a great tie-in, a great segue. Right? But little did I know that what God was trying to do actually was still coming after that. So on the way home, we're going, we're going home. Uh, my friend is, and his wife were walking. Um, I was carrying the chicken, but they said, no, 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 the honored guest cannot carry the chicken going back home. So they're trying to find someone to bring the chicken home. And this guy here, Tinsai, um, when, he, when, when we were worshiping, I actually sensed in my spirit something about him. Just, just kind of, he stood out, right? So then anyways, on the way home, they can't find my friend's son. So my friend's son was, supposed, was there in the service, and he was supposed to carry it home, because you don't let the honored guest carry the chicken home. So they're looking for my, my friend's son. They can't find him. So this guy, Tinsai, says, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll carry it. And he's looking for the son. He's looking for the son. Can't find the son. So he ends up coming home with us. Okay, he carries it for me, which is fine, I guess. So we, we get there, and in very Ethiopian African culture, you know, he's there. It's time for lunch. So my friend says, why don't you join us for lunch? So he joins for lunch. We have a lunch, and then uh, we have the chicken for dinner, because they still had to slaughter it. But um, the chicken didn't know that it would be a blessing that way either, right? But see, God has a plan. God has a plan. No, I'm serious. My friend said, this is God's blessing for us tonight, right? Because, I mean, it was really poor living conditions. So, anyways, we go home, we have lunch, and again, I'm sensing something about this guy. So we, have, we, we finish lunch, and God just tells me, you know, talk to this man about our ship's ministry. So we have a ship's ministry in OM, where our ships uh, go from uh, port to port around the globe. Uh, they, it's actually a discipleship program uh, the, the, for young people. I see a lot of young people here, so you can talk to, me, I'll talk to you about the ships later. Uh, but we, we go, and it's a great discipleship program for our youth, for youth, because what? They can't run away. You're stuck in the ship, right? And <laughs> you're living with seven, about 72 nationalities, of different, like 400 people from 72 different nationalities, and you're trying to work your faith out while you're running the ship. You actually become the crew. You're not like, you know, it's not like a cruise ship. It's a crew, 
ship. You become the crew, okay? So you're on, in the machine room, you're in the galley, you're in you know, the kitchen, all, we do that. But anyways, it's a great, great ministry. So God says, speak to this guy about the ship. So I talk to Tenzai, and I say, hey, uh, tell me about yourself. What are you doing? Well, he says, you know, I kind of finished the diploma in IT. I would really like to um, go to, to, to finish it as a degree, but obviously there's no funds, right? And I said, well, do you know about our ships? He says, no. So I pull out my tablet. I have a few videos about the ships. And I see, as, as he's watching, his eyes get bigger and bigger and bigger, right? And then I talk to my friend. I said, you know, I feel God, I think God wants me to tell you to consider joining our ship. And he pulls out his phone, old phone. Uh, but it has, it, it, it had, you know, it was a smart, maybe semi-smart phone. Um, <laughs> Because, it, I mean, he could take pictures. Right? So he had a picture of it. And he showed me a picture of a copy of the page of his passport. And he said, now I know. Now I know. The guy was almost in tears. And so and my friend is interpreting for all this because he's speaking in Amharic. So he says, now I know. And so my friend tells me the story. Two years before, 2021, this young man goes to a local prayer meeting. In the local prayer meeting, someone comes and prophesies to him that God is going to use him outside of Ethiopia. Okay? Now, you've you, you got to understand, this guy is from Yirga Chefe, where all they have are goats and chickens and coffee. Okay? I mean, it, it, there's no store. Like, no local store. You had to walk a few kilometers to find a small store that might sell soap or, you know, uh, maybe flour or whatever. So it's out in the boonies. Okay, so the guy says, how is God going to take me outside of Ethiopia? Anyway, so he gets this prophecy. He goes to work the next day. And he talks to his manager. This was out in a different city. The manager is not even a believer. So he says, I got, someone was telling me yesterday that I'm, God wants me to go outside of Ethiopia. So the unbelieving manager says, you got to get a passport. Right? And he says, it costs money. It's, you have to go to Addis. Addis Ababa was, is eight, an eight-hour drive from Yirgachefe. Right? So he says, I, he says no, I'm going to help you. The manager pays for and helps him process this whole passport thing and gets it for him. So finally, he gets the passport and he says, God, why? So he takes a picture of the passport. And he's been carrying that picture, and he has his passport with him for the past two years, and he has no reason, no, idea, no understanding for what reason, why. Then he says, now I know. So I contact the ships, which happened to be in Africa at that time, and I say, hey, you're not going to believe this, but I think God wants this guy on the ships, <laughs> right? So I tell him the story. They're processing his application now. If you step back and think about this story, If not for the chicken, I wouldn't have met him before it was hatched. I mean, laid, hatched, brought there by someone. Someone actually bid for it to give it to me. The son was supposed to take it home, but he couldn't take it home. So this guy just happened to take it home. The spirit you know, impresses on me to talk to him about the ships. Finally, things kind of come into place, right? So that, you see how, how that's all part of God's plan. But if you step back even more, 
30 years ago, I met my friend. Before this guy was born, he's 25. 30 years ago, I met my friend in, in OBC. And we promised each other 28 years, so that's 30 years ago I first met him. 28 years ago, we parted ways. We promised each other someday, someday God's going to bring us back together and I'm going to be able to preach in your church, you're going to preach in mine, right? 28 years ago. And I had no idea that I was going to end up in Ethiopia three weeks ago. It was because we had this leadership course. And actually, I was supposed to go to Mali and Niger before going to Kenya and then go to Ethiopia. But because of the coup, that all changed. So I had to go to Kenya first and then go to Ethiopia. Guys, do you see how intricate and complex but how beautiful God's plan is just for this guy to go to the ship. And who knows what else God has in store. Do we have a, play, a place, to, a role to play in God's plan? Yes. The question is, how do we fit in? Ephesians 5, 15 to 20 says this, and, and you'll see Paul explaining a little bit more about this later in the, same, in the same letter. He says, be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to the Father, God the Father, for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So how do we fit in? I think there are a few practical ways that you and I, uh, are practical steps that you and I can take to understand how we fit in. Number one, Paul says we need to be conscious of the plan. Okay? We need to be conscious. Be careful, he says. Be, take uh, care. Pay attention to how you live is what Paul is saying here. Right? So many times we kind of just float through life. It's easy to coast through life because everything has been set for us. Right? We, we already have kind of a set th uh, pattern to go through, a set model. I'm not saying that, that those are wrong, but we need to, what Paul is saying, he says, pay attention to what's happening around you. Pay attention to how, you know, God is doing this thing in your life or someone else's life, and he might want you to fit in that way. How we make our decisions, our goals, what we value, how we live. Where does God fit in? Where does God's plan fit into all of that? And then he says, we need to understand the Lord's will. Well, what is God's will for your life? Too many times. I have been in the pastorate for, for 20 plus years. Too many times I have people who will come to me and they say, Pastor, you know, I really want you to pray for me because I'm seeking God's will. I'm like, wow, this is great, right? Then I listen to their story. But what I find out is they're not really seeking God's will. They already have a plan, and they want their plan to fit into God's will. Right? This is the person I want to marry, Pastor. She's, I mean, she, she is, she is it. Right? She's perfect. You know, she's got, she fits all the, the criteria. Will you pray with me and pray that God kind of twists his will so that she becomes part of it? You see how that kind of is twisted, right? Because if we're really seeking God's will, we can't have our own plan. 
We have to open up and say, what's your plan? And so Paul is saying we need to understand his will for our life. We've already established that his will for the world is to redeem the world back to himself. But about, how about us? How does your life, how does my life fit into his plan? And then finally he says, be filled with the spirit. Don't be filled with wine. Well, wine could be, of course, the alcohol in itself, but wine can be anything you try to fill your life with other than the Spirit, right? Maybe if I asked you, do you get drunk here? No, I mean, Pastor Kevin's here. can't say yes. <laughs> but, but if I asked you, right, you said maybe no I, have, no, I don't drink alcohol. That's fine, but you know what? It's not just the alcohol. It's whatever we fill our lives with other than the Spirit. So what are we trying to fill our lives with? outside of the Spirit. If, if we were to find out how we fit in, we need to be conscious of the plan. We need to understand His will. And we, we need to be filled with the Spirit. We need to be walking with the Spirit so that we know, oh, this is what He wants. And this is how I fit in. So being filled with the Spirit means we surrender ourselves to Him. Two years ago, my daughter was baptized. And um, I'll be honest with you, she was eight. And uh, we were saying, you know, is she too young? Does she really understand the meaning of the cross, about what it means to follow Jesus? You know, forgiveness of sins, does she understand? But we sought the Lord, and I didn't want to hinder that, that young and, and eager desire. So she wrote her testimony, as we do in our church, and I just asked her, I said, hey, Jasmine, what do you think it means to follow Jesus anyway? And these were her words. Following Jesus means not being bo the boss of yourself, but letting Jesus be the boss of you. That's pretty much theology 101 to me in terms of lordship, right? Out of the mouth of babes. So for us to fit into God's plan, we need to, uh, aside from being aware of the plan, aside from... Uh, uh, from understanding his will, we need to surrender. We could understand this, everything that I've talked about. We could understand the global situation of, of missions today. We could, you know, have that down. We could have the statistics. Unless we say, yes, I believe you have a plan. I believe you want me to be part of that plan. Because it says, right, verse 10, because he's already ha he already has those works in advance, planned in advance for us to fulfill, for us to do. I surrender to that plan. That's the key. We could know everything, but unless we surrender and say, okay, how are you going to make me fit in any way you want me to fit in? So what now? Do we all quit our jobs to reach the unreached? We all know it. No. You know, I think in the evangelical church, we've established that some of us uh, go and some of us send, right? Some, some do and some of us pray, right? Some are involved in action and some of us give. Yes, that's true. But can I, can I just say that I think sometimes, sometimes we've used that as a scapegoat. Maybe, okay, I'm not saying we all go. But are we open to the probability or the possibility that God might want you to go? I think sometimes we've, we've shut that off already. 
Uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's, I'm the giver, I'm the sender, I'm the prayer, right? I think we still need to be open. What if he does? When Moses was having difficulty to accept, you know, God's call in his life to, to, to be the instrument God uses to save uh, the Israelites out of Egypt, he has this kind of debate with God, right? If you go back, I know you know this story, right? He says, no, not me, I can't speak, you know, I'm no good, right? And God asks Moses this poignant question. He says, what's in your hand? Right, do you know that story? And he, and he, he refers to the staff. And the staff really represented who Moses was. Right? It was his livelihood. He was a shepherd. But that in itself also represented all his failure. The guy had it made. He was in the king's palace, in, the Pharaoh, in Pharaoh's palace. Right? But because of failure, because of anger management problems, he ends up in the desert and he holds a staff instead of a scepter. That's who he is. Everything that represented Moses, his livelihood, his hardship, his previous experience, his failures, when he held that staff, I, I can imagine how he, it retold his story to himself. But what does that mean? Well, what's in your hand? What represents you? You know, it could be all the failures. It could be all the good things. It could be your skills. It could be your job. It could be your education. But everything that represents you is in that staff. So God says, what's in your hand? Really, he's asking Moses, I will take you and use you as you are. That's what he's telling Moses. So your talents, your skills, your job, your hobby, your preferences, the generation you come from, the inclinations, the time that you have, everything that we are, God wants to use all of that to be part of his plan. So where do we go from here? I'm running out of time. My wife and I think my son are going to give you some cards. First thing you can do, of course, is pray. We have some cards at the back that, will, that are cards and information about unreached countries harder to reach countries in the world. We focus in OM on reaching that three billion. I want you to take that home and please pray for those countries. You'll see there's an explanation of the spiritual climate there, what the needs are, how you can pray, what you should do. Take, we're going to pass those out. Take one home, put it on your fridge, or better yet, maybe put it in your Bible. Um, but if you open your fridge more than your Bible, put it on your fridge, okay? Um, <laughs> but pray. Pray for those, those people. There's, a, there's an amazing thing that God is doing in the AP, in the Arabian Peninsula, where thousands of cousins, this is being live streamed, correct? Thousands of cousins, I'm going to use the word cousins, um, are coming to Jesus by seeing him through visions and dreams. And I spoke to one of our workers in the AP, and I said, why do you think this is happening now? Well, he said, of course, it's the Holy Spirit. But I said, why? But he says, can I just say, that for an, a, year, a year and a half, there is an expat Filipino church in the AP that has 24-7 kept on praying for cousins to come to Jesus in the last year and a half. I think that has a little bit to do with what's happening there. You can give, of course, not just money, your time, your service, and of course you can go. Missionary partners, I mean, you've been sending uh, you're praying for your missionaries here this morning. But maybe want, God wants you to go. We have 
literally hundreds of short-term trip opportunities all year through, through OM. God has a plan. And I hope today when you leave this place, you'll understand that you're part of it. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your